neck stand up, I gotta tell you. A wild turkey did it to me another time. <laughs> in the dark, in the woods, I'm sitting there resting, trying to catch my breath, and this thing explodes out of the hemlock right above my head. And I was like, <gasps> and in that instant I knew what it was, but I also was quite startled. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for opening your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Speak to each one of us now your words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a rather humorous movie out there called uh, Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you might have seen that one. Uh, it's Jim Carrey, and he's a pretty funny guy anyways. And um, <clears throat> after we have a technology upgrade, I'll be able to show you a clip occasionally. Uh, and I would have shown you this one because it's pretty funny. But um, uh, Jim Carrey is having a particularly bad day. He steps in a puddle, goes, the water goes up to his knee. Uh, he's upset about various things. He had a fight with his wife. And then he's driving down the road in a car, and bad things happen. He gets distracted. He asks God for a sign, and this truck full of signs pulls in front of him and says, Caution ahead. <laughs> and he gets mad that the truck's in front of him, and so he floors it and goes around the truck, drives through a pothole, loses control of the car, and slams into a light pole. And then he gets out of his car, and he has one of those conversations with God where he's like, Okay. <laughs> Bring it! Put your fist up! He says to God, right? I know, right? And then, you know, he's like, is that the way it's going to be? Smite me, almighty smiter! And he says, it's really, you're all going to go home and watch at least this clip now, right? That was his impression of God, right? And we all have different impressions of God. I wonder what your impression of God the Father is towards you. Uh, we have these, this impression sometimes of God the Father that he would love nothing more than to throw us into the fires of hell and watch us burn for all eternity. Hell is real. The fires are hot. I'm not denying any of that. Um, but we have this idea that God is kind of like that naughty kid with the magnifying glass versus the anthill. You know? Um, just waiting for the unsuspecting ant to poke his head out so they can get his head nuked by the power of the sun, right? But the fact is that it is the very nature of God to love. If we are going to begin to understand how we as followers of Jesus are to love one another as the scriptures today point us toward, we first need to know God's love because it will not be in our resources of love that we will be able to do it, but with the resources of God's love. So for us, the word love is kind of a word that we've stretched to the utmost of its use, right? Um, we love God. That sounds good to say. Uh, we love our spouse. We love our children, right? We love sunsets and we love a good pizza. <laughs> We have just used love for God, for our spouse, for our children, for sunsets, for pizza, you name it, throw in there what you love. And we've used that little four-letter word to describe all of those things, yet 
that word love has very different meanings and very different uses, depending on how we're approaching it. Any love that you experience or give that is, is true love has originally come from God because none of that is, is good that's going to originate from us. Okay, so um, the holy love with which we love our spouse or maybe our children and that kind of thing or the holy love, if you're able to, of the love that we love God as he gives us the ability to, that's from him. That's from him. So, the love from God is different from the love in the world. Uh, the love in the world is kind of more akin to lust in some respects. Um, you know, and you can lust after more than the things that you're thinking about right now. Um, as far as the way that that word in its context is taken. When we are lusting, we're looking to take something from someone else for our own gratification. And so, the love that comes from God is the opposite of that. It is good, it is holy, it is pure. God's love is righteous. It doesn't have a self-serving agenda. You know, this is a chance to go read the love chapter again. Love is patient, love is kind, right? Um, and the word for love used in 1 John chapter 4 that we're looking at today is the highest and purest form of love. It's agape love. You've all heard about that word before, probably, you know. Um, John MacArthur defines it like this. He says it expresses the purest, noblest form of love, which is volitionally driven, not motivated by a superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. This love is a holy love from God. It is this love of God that causes us to know God and to love him back. In 1 John, which we just read, it says very clearly, if we know God, we will love God. And we know and have known his love. When we know his love, it transforms us. We talk about love, and we talk about God's love, and we can even sit in church our whole lives and acknowledge God's love. But until we know God's love and experience God's love, we're not going to be able to extend that to others. In this passage, there's a kind of a tough word at the end of it. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. How do I know if I'm loving my brother or my sister, or if I'm hating my brother or my sister? Is it really that far in between love and hate? Or are there a million thoughts and decisions and words that we can say in between those two? Writing off a relationship with a family member or a church member is to say that the love and forgiveness we have received from Christ stops with us. 
and the offense we have experienced by that person is worse than the offenses we have committed against the Lord. In John 13.35, Jesus says, By this will everyone know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's tough. <laughs> it's easy to love people that we like. It might even be easy to love people that, you know, what, what they did to us, we, we could take offense at, but we're feeling pretty good about ourselves that we didn't. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going to take a victory lap with that one. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Do we know God in his love, or do we have a visceral fear of God? What is our impression of God? I don't mean the kind of fear that is sort of a sobering reverence for a holy God, right? I mean, we know that that is reality, and that is true. I mean the kind of fear that believes God is looking for reasons to be unloving, distant, waiting for us to stumble so he can accuse us and punish us. Is that the kind of God that you know? Fear will always give us a twisted idea of who God actually is. But love will give us an accurate view of who God is. We can see this at work when we think about our sin. Okay, so think for a moment about that sin that you'd be really embarrassed about if there was a television on your chest showing everybody what that sin is. Okay? <laughs> Um, what is the anatomy of that sin? Why are we doing it? Often, we persist in sin like that because we have not understood and experienced the love of God. Often it's because that sin is more attractive to us than the love of God is real to us. And so we make a choice. This is figuring more highly in me getting what I want rather than understanding and realizing how much God loves us. And you know, even when we make that choice for that sin, it doesn't diminish how much God loves you. What's the anatomy of our repentance? Do we repent because we're truly sorry? Or do we repent because we're afraid like a dog coming back with its head down and tail between its legs and flip over on our bellies? You've all seen them do it, right? Do we repent because we are afraid of what God will do to us? Or do we repent because, like the prodigal, we have a loving father who is just waiting for us to come back and he's standing there with open arms? I want to I want to share with you as you know I've been working my way through this book it's been really helpful in learning about the nature of God a little bit and yes I had it out in the rain the other day that's why it's all wrinkled um, but there's a really wonderful quote in here what elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin but whether the sinner comes to him 
Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To no one will Jesus be neutral. It's the nature of God's love. It is deep. It is abiding. It will transform us if we actually get to know the Lord in his love. The love that God has for us and we for him speaks to, directly to the heart of our relationships with one another. God is really not okay with half measures of reconciliation. He is not okay with half measures of forgiveness, a sort of a demilitarized zone of tolerance between people who are sharing in the same family, sharing at the table, brothers and sisters, under God the Father. Sometimes a relationship is toxic, and we need to forgive and move on, and then re-forgive and re-forgive as often as we need to. And so what I'm saying, I'm not suggesting we remain in an unhealthy relationship with someone who is abusive. Those situations, however, are also not beyond the reach of the Lord. I'm talking about relationships within our family. When we finally begin to grasp God's love for us, even those hurtful offenses from others that we dwell on are seen in a different light. Corey Ten Boom said it this way, To forgive is to set a prisoner free. And to realize that the prisoner is you. It's hard to ask for and expect revival amongst us when there's brokenness and unforgiveness in our relationships with one another. To commit to be a part of the bride to be a part of the church family, the very body of Jesus Christ, is to commit to sacrifice, to show up, to confess, to confront, and to forgive. When we come to the table, we're remembering what Jesus did. We're looking ahead as a foreshadowing of the banquet in heaven. When you get to heaven and are at that banquet table, the person with which you have brokenness right now may well be at that same table. Let's not lose the time that we have here on earth with one another to brokenness. What a powerful and healing thing would it be to acknowledge our own sin and our own brokenness and after receiving the love and forgiveness of God, extend the same to others. And then with joy and unity, come and sit at the table. God loves you so much. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me 
will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Have you heard of John Bunyan? <laughs> There's a wonderful um, sort of a litany in here that John Bunyan writes in one of his books. These are the excuses that we throw at God. Ready for this? This is really good. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast you out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, says you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. No matter what excuse we throw at the Lord, if we belong to him, his love can and will transform us. And when that transformation is taking place, it equips and empowers us to be able to forgive those around us. We are the body of Christ. We are called together for a purpose. We are called together to love God, to love one another, and then to carry that out into the world. And I close with a quote from uh, the Orland book. It says this. For those of you united to him, the heart of Jesus is not a rental. It is your new permanent residence. You are not a tenant. You are a child. His heart is not a ticking time bomb. His heart is the green pastures and still waters of endless reassurance of his presence and comfort. It is who he is. Lord, as we do come to your table today, we pray that you would enable us to know your love. Help us to see the love of the world that is passing away for what it is and to understand what is that great love with which you love us, and that it is our own personal limitations of our mind, our own personal limitations of our love for one another, and how those fail, which we then seem to apply to your well of love as if it would ever run dry. So Lord, as we come to the table today, help us to love you with our whole hearts, 
Help us to love one another. For places where we have broken relationships, forgive us. Give us the courage to seek out that person, to go and talk to that individual, to invite you, your power, and your healing into those relationships. That what you have said would be true of us by this, all would know that we are your disciples, that we have love one for another. In the name of Jesus. Amen.